0: Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You no, know, summer's pretty much done and over, and next snow you fall will be here, and the cool temperatures will be here as well. So get it over to Leon Tailoring, they can keep you nice and warm without burning a hole in your pocket. So maybe a little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a nice long sleeve shirt, or for ladies, maybe a nice heavier blouse, or heavier skirt, or dress. No matter what it is, you can get over at Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, they'll take care of you like they've been taking care of me. Almost 20 years, since I've been here in Indianapolis, they've been here longer than 100 years. So swing on by Leon Tailoring, and tell them Abdul Sincha, Leon Tayloring, 809 North Delaware and downtown Indianapolis. Well, there are lots of things going on in the world of Indiana politics these days and help us dissect a lot of that stuff is a good friend, Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center of Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. So Andy, my friend, thank you for taking a few minutes to chat with us this afternoon. Well,
1: it was my pleasure. Always fun to be with you.
0: Uh, well, let's go ahead and start. Uh, normally we talk about what's going on in Indiana, but uh, apparently there's an Indiana connection to what's been going on with Washington, D.C. lately uh, with, with, uh, with Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparks uh, kind of uh, reading the riot act to, to Garlic to Marilyn Garlick, uh, Attorney General, and they can, they kind of going back and forth. And then you also got Victoria Sparks uh, going back and forth with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. What the heck is going on, old friend?
1: You know, I think a lot of people could expect uh, a Republican to have not nice things to say about a Democrat. But when you start to say not nice things about your own party, you're violating certain rules. In fact, I believe it was Ronald Reagan who said that's the 11th commandment. Don't speak ill of your party. But man, the Republican Party right now is is showing how diverse it is in terms of positions on issues and ideology. And I don't want people to think that's necessarily a bad thing. People used to think of the Republican Party as this monolith that simply moved in one direction with one thought. There always have been differences of opinion. We're just getting to see a lot of them out in the open. Instead of everything taking place in the caucus room, now it's coming out in the open. And let's face it, 24-hour news coverage doesn't uh, help or hurt, depending on your perspective here, the situation. Uh,
0: And don't forget to to throw in the social media aspect, too, old friend.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. I didn't even think about it. Absolutely. But when you think about what uh, Representative Sparks said, uh, that's a fair criticism. Congress seems to only be able to work on one thing at a time. And she was saying, if that's the case, maybe this is the thing we should be working on. But better idea. We work on multiple things. I've offered my help and it's been rejected. That's not necessarily speaking ill of your party. That's stating something that I think just about everybody has noticed. And, and uh, when, uh, when the speaker then had his comments about her, I think a lot of people might have just said, I maybe side with her more than him on this one. Do, do more than one thing at a time.
0: And I thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Victoria Sparks basically told the Speaker if he can't do the job and he needs to quit, then he came back and said, well, why are you quitting?
1: Yes, that's right. He did. And that's you know, from a political standpoint, that's a great line. That's a great line. She chose not to run for election. She wasn't defeated in a primary or something else that would allow him or her to say, look, I was beaten. That's why I'm not coming back. Uh, people said the same thing about Evan Bayh when he said he was getting out. They said that about Dan Coates when he was getting out. When you're getting out, for some reason, members of Congress feel this great freedom to talk about what's not working within the body, and then they go away. Well, there are a lot of people who would say, why don't you say that while you're there and actually do something about it? So it's, it, it's good politics on the part of the speaker. Uh, it's a good – I mean it's a good comeback too. It's one that people can get. Uh, but it's also logical.
0: Uh, my friend, as we have this conversation uh as we record this conversation which will be played uh, played back later uh, online on the air uh do you think Kevin McCarthy can survive all this?
1: You know he got in by such a thin uh, uh, margin it's it
0: took fifteen times
1: you no know, well that's that's true too. You gotta figure that at some point he'd be bounced out, but who would take his place and I think Republicans will figure out that if the Democrats can simply bring one or two votes their way, or still more than that, but a few votes their way, suddenly there could be a Democratic speaker when the Republicans outnumber the Democrats in the House. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the the Republicans will manage to stay in line. Whether that means they bounce McCarthy out or not, I'm not quite sure. But once they get serious about bouncing him out, I think they're going to realize they're not sure who the replacement is And so they'll yell at him, and they'll they'll tar and feather him, and then they'll let him stay in the position. That's what I would guess, but we're in really uncharted territory here because one member can get the whole process started, and that's a new wrinkle in all of this.
0: And what I also think is interesting, too, old friend, is that uh, the whole thought of of compromise and work with the Democrats uh, seems to be (laughs) like, like an anathema to Republicans. Like, no offense, guys, but you don't have that big of a majority. And also, by the way, Democrats control the White House and the Senate.
1: And, and let's point to the speaker for a moment. This is a guy who has been more than happy to sort of offend Democrats. He probably could have gotten Democrats to come over to his side if he had proposed sort of moderate legislation that could get a majority of Republicans. He would not need all of the Democrats, but a good chunk of them to come over. He probably could have done that on a number of issues. But by saying we're going to do the impeachment inquiry and a few other things, now the Democrats are like, wait a minute, why should we help you? Let's make you look as ineffective as possible and next year take back the house, which, of course, is not very productive because it means nothing is getting done. And while some people may love that nothing gets done, there are some things that are important, like a budget.
0: We're talking this this afternoon to Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University Fort Wayne, Director Emeritus. I'm Just kind of getting caught up on on the latest political uh, goings on in the in the universe, uh, Andy. Now we can now we we're done with Washington. you see that we can turn our attention to the great state uh, here in Indiana and the governor's race. Uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Suzanne Crouch, also a candidate for governor, uh, has been making uh, waves and uh, raising rid of a red flag or two, or or maybe not a red flag uh, on her plan to get rid of the in, the individual income tax.
1: Well, uh, that's going to resonate well with a lot of people because they're going to say, great, my taxes are going down. But as you and I know, even if spending gets cut, that revenue is going to have to be replaced some way. And is that going to be through taxes on businesses, taxes on services? Is it going to be on sales tax? How's that money going to get replaced? And so it sounds good to say I'm going to lower your taxes or I'm going to get rid of a tax until the rest of the details come out, there's really no way to say who's going to like or dislike the plan. We all will like the sound of it, but the details matter and they matter a lot.
0: Now, now what's interesting, and now though, cause I interesting another cuz I was talking to the Lieutenant Governor also about this and I asked her are you talking about uh, cuz usually when you do, when you do tax policy if you get rid of one revenue source you have to replace it with something that's always sort of been sort of the 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 unspoken rule or maybe the spoken rule for that matter but she said no this is a this is a, this is not a tax cut it's a tax elimination so she would get rid of the in, the individual income tax which would cost the state anywhere from 8 to 12 billion dollars and change Half of that funding, that which pays for half of uh, education funding and Medicaid. And so uh, the jury is still out on whether that would actually work. I and mean, can you find 8 to $12 billion worth of waste, fraud, and abuse in state government?
1: Well, you can't find that much waste, fraud, and abuse. But what you can do is simply say, we're going to cut it. And if that's the case, then tell me what, and tell the voters, what is the thing you're going to cut? And maybe people will agree with it. You know, there at the national level, there are people who have been saying we should get rid of the Department of Education, maybe get rid of the EPA. And there are a chunk of folks who say, yeah, that's a good idea. That, of course, will save money. Uh, but if you simply say we're eliminating a revenue stream and we will continue to offer the same level of service and all of the services we've been offering, uh, you know, there are a whole lot of people who are not necessarily going to believe that. Even if they think there might be a lot of waste and abuse and, and fraud, there, there probably just isn't that much of that.
0: And she also talk about uh, sort of modernizing government for the 21st century. Once again, though, my question is, how do you get that 8 to $12 billion by, by modernizing government? I mean, because that's, that's a big chunk of pocket change right there.
1: It is. And, you know, Mitch Daniels might say, wait a minute, we did a fair amount of modernizing back when I was governor. And I know that was a while ago. Uh, but how much have things changed since then? He probably wouldn't really say that. But there was a pretty significant shuffle that went on when he was governor. It's one of the things he'll be known for years and years and years from now. But what is it? Is it increased use of technology? Well, technology costs money, and it keeps changing. And you got to train the people who will be using the technology. So, yeah, maybe there's something there, but it's not like a straight savings of X number of people who will no longer be needed to perform those functions. Other people will say, well, let's privatize it because that will be less expensive. Private sector is is profit-oriented. It will think of a way to bring costs down. That's possibly true. But the devil is really going to be in the details. What is the thing you're going to do that will save that much money?
0: Our guest on the program today is our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, Professor, uh, Director Emeritus. And so we're just kind of getting sort of the the, the the scope of the lay of the land here, uh, here in Indiana. Uh, uh, it was interesting, Andy, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, all five candidate, all five major candidates for governor, uh, spoke at the Hamilton County Blinken uh, Day. Uh, it was uh, Eric Doden, Mike Braun, Suzanne Crouch, Curtis Hill and uh, Brad Chambers also sort of uh, making sort of their five-minute elevator speeches uh, to the delegates in Hamilton County, which is sort of ground zero for uh, Republican politics. And everybody got sort of polite applause. How, how do you rate the, governor, the governor's race so far? Is it just still way too early?
1: It's way too early. I mean, it, it, what's interesting is you already have Chambers and Doden running commercials around the state. Obviously, part of what they have to do is raise their name ID. The other three, I think, should have started if we did some polling – should have started with far better name IDs than those two. So I get that. They're running their commercials, and they're very very polite commercials. I'm a wonderful person. This is why I'm a wonderful person. Wouldn't it be great if I was leading the state kind of thing? It's what you'd expect. It's a bit of a bio-commercial, but nothing hard-hitting yet uh, from anybody. I think that we do have to remember we haven't even made it through the mayoral elections yet. We're not even into October yet. So maybe it's a little early for us to be talking a whole lot about who's ahead and who's behind. But we certainly can watch what they're doing. And when you think about Chambers or Doden running the commercials to raise their name ID, that is really cutting into the advantage that you find with, with Braun and with Crouch and with Hill. So it's a smart thing to do. And we can say they're running smart races for that reason. We can look at fundraising numbers, and they're all raising a boatload of cash. So we can say that's going well for them. But it's just – it's way too early to say, well, we know exactly who's going to win this race.
0: And it's, it's funny you, you mentioned uh, the whole thing about sort of the, the, the biographies sort of introduced themselves to the voters uh, because I want to say the day before Brad Chambers uh, started running his ads, I kind of jokingly said on another program, here here's, here's Brad Chambers' ad or anybody. Hi, I'm blah, blah, blah. I was born in a small town. My parents taught me the value <laughs> of hard work, you know. <laughs> and fill them like I, I started my own business. I went to IU, Purdue, and now I want to do. But it, it, it basically, my friend, it, it writes itself. It really does.
1: It really does. It really does. And you don't even really have to test that ad. You know that ad's going to work well. So uh, that's why they didn't pay you for the for the advertising advice because they already knew that one was going to work.
0: Andy Downs with us, uh, the Mike Downs Center for uh, Indiana Politics, Purdue University, Fort Wayne. Uh, it's also interesting too, my friend uh, Curtis Hill uh, is running for, is running for governor. Uh, Curtis, uh, who's, who's a good friend, known him forever, but had some issues when he was attorney general. Uh, I think he walks in with a with a floor ceiling of about 20, 25 percent because of those, those real ideological uh, sort of ideological conservatives.
1: He does, you know. When you look at everybody, you start you start by asking what's what's their base, what's the percentage, what's the floor, in other words. And occasionally, you sort of get a little confused because you look at like Dowden and Chambers, and you say, okay, maybe these two have the same base. Uh, when you look at say Crouch, you ask, well, wh- what base is she sh- sharing with somebody else? Same for everybody else. Hill probably is the most authentic and. Um, Clearly identified as conservative in the definition of him, even more so than Braun, for example. So he probably has a base that is most secure, although Braun and Crouch could maybe make the argument their base is establishment party. And so they also start at 25%. It's a little hard to say, but I do think. Anyone who writes off Curtis Hill or who thinks he's starting at, you know, 5 percent or 10 percent because there are five can- five, you know, ranking candidates. I think they're making a mistake. Uh, that's that's somebody who's forgotten he was the top vote getter when he ran for attorney general. Uh, that's somebody who's forgotten how popular he was when he was in the office until he had his problems. They're forgetting how popular he was back in Elkhart County. So, yeah, I may, I might not say 25 percent. But I'm certainly going to say he's comfortably into double digits. And I,
0: and I remind the audience, too, that uh, at a primary, you don't need a majority of the votes. You just basically need a, need a plurality.
1: Exactly. And you got I mean, five. Who knows how many there will be by the time we actually get to the election. But just for kicks, let's say it ends up being six. Let's say there's another person who gets in. They don't even have to be you know, particularly well-known. But if that sixth person is suddenly taking two, three, even five percent, Well, now it's 95% being spread out among five solid, solid candidates. You don't even have to get to a third at that point, although historically we have seen when there are these, you know, multi-person races in the primaries, somewhere between that, you know, 30 to 40% is where the winner usually ends up being. But still, this this will be somewhat uncharted territory because there are five really well-known candidates. And let's not forget a lieutenant governor candidate who, if he wished – could suddenly throw some support behind a governor, a uh, candidate for governor, and and maybe help to sway things a little bit.
0: Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center for Indiana Politics at Purdue, Univers- at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, Professor, uh, Director Emeritus, uh, with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, Andy, something else that happened this week that I want to get your thoughts on uh, was John Rust, uh, Jackson County uh, egg farmer, uh, basically uh, multimillionaire, filed a lawsuit against the state of indiana basically saying the the, the republican the, the primary system in indiana is screwed up <laughs> basically saying hey does this 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 thing that you got to get you know vote in two primaries uh, or to, to 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 run in the primary is ridiculous uh etc and i technically i don't think he's totally wrong on this one because a primary is a, is a purely political function and why should i as a, as a taxpayer Use my tax dollars to pay for a primary. Uh, Now, if it's an open primary, that's one thing. But if it's a closed primary, Republicans and Democrats, why should we have to foot the bill?
1: Yeah, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, If you read the law literally, and we both know it can't be enforced, but if you read the law literally, the only people who are supposed to be participating in those primaries are people who are good card-carrying members of that party. But, as was pointed out in the lawsuit, if you live in a community where your party is the minority— but you want to have a say in who's going to hold the offices, you're going to jump over and vote in that primary. Now, technically, by doing that, you have violated the law. No one can prove it, but you have, at least the spirit of the law, or the letter of the law. Uh, it, so, you know, it is it is an interesting system that we operate. Now, because it is unenforceable, there are a lot of people who simply say Indiana's primary system is an open primary system. Go vote in whichever primary you wish because no one can be prosecuted effectively for violating that law. That might be true. But when you tack on the requirement that says you've got to vote not once, but twice, your last two primaries have to be in the primary, in the party or for the party. Well, now you're adding an interesting requirement because I think there are a lot of voters in this state who at some point have said, oh, I'm a good card carrying member of the insert party name here. But my friend is running for Township Advisory Board, and you know she's running in the other party. I'm going to go over and vote for her because I want to help her out. There are a bunch of people that's happened to. Let's not forget about the people who in 2008 went out uh, at the urging of one radio host and participated in the Democratic primary trying to change who got the, the presidential nomination in the state of Indiana. Uh, that then screwed them up for being able to be delegates to the state convention and precinct committee people and all those sorts of things. So in the end, I get why the legislators would say, no, you need to prove you're a good member of the party. And proving it means you've voted in two consecutive or your last two primaries were with our party. But at the same time, is that realistic? And is that the best way to actually test somebody? Because in the end, remember, the person could just walk into the party chair and say, give me the test. What's the purity test? I want to take it because when I demonstrate I'm one of you, I want to run in your primary. Well, of course, then what you've done is given too much power to the party chairs. So it, I, it's an interesting system.
0: And and, and I actually, uh, speaking of uh, people who've been part of that system, uh, when I ran uh, for mayor uh, in the primary system, had a lot of my Democrat friends who've never pulled a Republican ballot like Abdul, I'm going to vote for you and only you.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and in the spirit of helping your friend out, that's perfectly logical. And they didn't even mess around in the other primary that we know of. They didn't vet, vote for any county, city county council member or anything like that. Uh, but that is not necessarily what the law says.
0: And, now, and, I'll, and I'll freely admit, my friend, well, I'll admit, well, you, well, you got to have some guardrails uh, on yeah. who, when, who gets ballot access. Because the last thing I want my ballot to look like is a CVS pharmacy receipt. But with that said, though, the question is, how big should those parameters be?
1: Yeah, or who's in charge of them? That's the other way. I think that's that's, – I agree with your question, but I want to add who's in charge of the guardrails. Because really, uh, let's imagine just for a second here, somebody is thinking about running in just a county race, county commissioner, county council, something, and they have to go to the county chair – And say, look at my voting history. It is a solid D or a solid R until this one problem last time. that's because of my friend and the the second to last time, last time I came back. So all this time I've been a good party member. Please say I'm a good party member. But that person has somebody they're backing in the primary and they can easily just say, nope, you're not in.
0: Or, or maybe they just need big, write a big enough donation check to the next Lincoln Day fundraiser. <laughs>
1: that, that might help, too. That probably <laughs> would help quite a bit. <laughs> All,
0: right. All right. Our guest on the program today has been our good friend Andy Downs of the Mike Downs Center at Indiana Politics at Purdue University, Fort Wayne Director of Andy, my friend, thank you very much for being with us, old friend. Always great to talk to you. Uh, we'll be talking to you uh, probably in about six weeks right around municipal election time.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on.